you ready? 2 Kings chapter 22. Yell out when you're there. All right, 2 Kings 22 is in the Old Testament. It's after the book of 1 Kings. You're there? All right, this is what it says in verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Josiah is probably my, if you said, hey, Pastor Jürgen, who's, your, who's one of your uh, heroes in the Bible, Josiah? He was eight years old when he became king. Watch this. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. Verse 2, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. David wasn't his father, but he walked in all the ways of his father, David. In other words, you could see King David. You could see the heart after God. You could see the worshiper. You could see the warrior. You could see the God seeker. You could see the one who wanted to bring back worship and the tabernacle and the presence of God to Israel. You could see all these attributes. You could see all these traits in Josiah. He walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. That's quite a feat for an eight-year-old. Can you imagine an eight-year-old becomes king? How does mama discipline him? There's no spanking this little tyke and sending him to bed because he didn't eat all his vegetables. Off with her head. I mean, it's like, you know, he, he could just make a decree. From now on, I decree that... Every night from henceforth shall McDonald's be served for dinner. I mean, this, he is eight. He is eight with authority. He is eight years old. His physical frame is not yet developed enough to carry the weight of responsibility that rests upon his shoulders. And yet the Bible says... That even though he became king at eight years of age, he reigns for 31 years. And for 31 years, he follows the Lord with all his heart. He has not reached puberty yet. He has not gone through teenage years. He has not, he has not gone to the place where hormones are raging in his body. And he is the king. Whatever his eyes desire, whatever he wants, he can have. And yet he puts himself second and puts God for, I like Josiah because when I read the Bible and I see him, he inspires me. He challenges me. He, he convinces me when I look at his life I feel like I've got to just immediately go into my closet and repent because this guy is a man of God I like this kid Josiah I like him because if you turn one chapter go to chapter 23 and let's go to verse 25 chapter 3 chapter 23 verse 25 this is what it says about about King Josiah it says now before him there was no king like him now, before him, there was no king like him, which is pretty interesting. Let me just stop there. Because every single king that reigned over Israel, God compared to one king, King David. Even when Jesus came, he was Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. Josiah lived in such a way that he completely eclipsed David. It's like for a moment God forgot the magnificence of David. And it says, now before him, there was no king like him. 
who turned to the Lord with all his heart, not with most, not with some, but with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, watch this, nor after him did any king arise like him. Nor after him did any king arise like him. What an awesome young man. Can I give you one more scripture about Josiah? All right, I want you to come with me to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings chapter 13. This is 300 years before Josiah is born. This is 300 years before Josiah is born. 1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to read verse 1 and 2. 1 Kings chapter 13 verse 1 and 2. It says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Now just stop there for a second. The altar that he's burning incense on is not the altars of the Lord. It's altars that he has erected to Baal. It is altars that he has erected literally to the devil. Israel has so backslidden, Jeroboam is now the king and he has filled the land with idolatry and he has turned the hearts of Israel away from the Lord so that they have become Baal worshippers. And in comes this incredible man of God in 1 Kings chapter 13 and he sees what's going on. He's sent from God and he sees... He sees King Jeroboam standing there about to offer incense to Baal, turning the entire nation's heart. Listen, I know there are some people that say, well, it, don't, it don't matter who's president. Jesus is still on the throne. It don't, it, I don't need to vote. God's got it all under control. You need to understand that the Bible says when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. It does matter who you vote for. It does matter who rules over a nation. If you don't believe me, talk, go to Cambodia and talk to people about Pol Pot. If you don't believe me, talk to Germany about Adolf Hitler. If you don't believe me, talk to the Italians about Mussolini. If you don't believe me, go to Russia and talk to people about Joseph Stalin. If you don't believe me, go to China and talk about Maltese. If it matters, it matters who rules over a nation. Now that you, I've offended you, let me keep moving. So Jeroboam is ruling out, but he's turning people away from the Lord. Verse 2. Then the man of God cries out against the altar by the word of the Lord and says, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, behold a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he goes and gives a sign. This is 300 years before he's born. Let's pray and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. And I ask, Lord, that you would speak through your son, through your servant. This would be a word in season for these magnificent people. Everybody said, amen. I mean, the title of my message today is Heroic Traits. Heroic Traits. Whether you realize it or not, when you receive Jesus Christ, when you are born again, the Bible teaches that you are now born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptibility. There's, there's also, once you're born again, there's another experience God wants you to walk through. Jesus said to the disciples who were his disciples, they gave up everything. They, they followed him. They were born again. Just read John 20, breathed on them and received the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for power. 
John baptized in water. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They waited in Jerusalem and they were baptized with the Holy Spirit and with power. Can I tell you, God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to be filled with a, with, with a supernatural element. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. When you are filled with God, you step from mortal into immortality. You step into a supernatural realm. Something supernatural comes over your life. When I look at Jesus, Jesus wasn't just a good guy. Jesus didn't just love the unlovely. Jesus didn't just minister to the brokenhearted. Jesus also opened the eyes of the blind. Jesus cast out demons. Come on, somebody. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. Whether you realize it or not, you and I as the church are meant to be the ministry and the expression of Jesus Christ in the earth. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We are meant to witness the fact that Jesus Christ is King of Kings, Lord. We are meant to witness the fact that Jesus is who he said he was but the devil has shut down power you are meant to have supernatural power on your life everyone say hero so let me give you four really quick traits that I believe go with heroism the first one I believe that heroes employ the Romans 828 factor heroes employ the eight Romans 828 principle what is Romans 8.28? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says that God makes all things. Everyone say all things. God makes all things work together for good for them that love Him and are called according to His purposes. Now, all things doesn't mean most things. All things doesn't mean just the good things. Everyone say all things. See, what I like about, about when I look at superheroes, superheroes don't get Bitter when bad things happen, they get better. Batman, Bruce Wayne, has his parents murdered in front of him when he's eight years of age. And yet, rather than becoming bitter, rather than becoming, he becomes Batman. Superman, his planet, his home planet is destroyed. He loses not only his home, not only his family, but his mum and dad in one day. And he's sent to a strange planet where he grows up, adopted. It's, if you look at every single superhero, you'll find that they all had a bad day. Listen to me. In this life, bad things will happen. In this life, you will face betrayals. You will face disappointments. You will face letdowns. You will face trials you will face tribulations you will face challenges you will face difficulties in fact James goes on to write he says brethren count it pure joy when you fall into various trials and tribulations knowing that these things test your faith and when that has its perfect work it'll produce endurance and endurance see God uses trials tribulations difficulties betrayals challenges he uses those things as his gymnasium to develop kingdom muscle on the inside of you he is developing kingdom on the inside of you a kite rises through adversity through a contrary wind God is causing you to rise God is causing you to go up but you need to understand that you can't just fold you can't just King David 
was overlooked by his dad. The prophet Samuel comes to to Jesse, the Bethlehemite's house, and says, one of your sons is going to be king. The Lord has told me this is a good thing. If your son is the king, you have all the perks. Talk about Loren's story. You get to go, you get the front seat in the, in fact, you get to choose who wins the Oscars. You get your photo snapped on the red carpet. I mean, it is, you, your son is, your boy is the king. Jesse sends David as far away from the house as possible. Like, that's crazy. You'd think he'd be shaving his daughter's heads, making him look like boys, put little baseball caps and get out there, talking a manly voice, you know. He, but David was overlooked and rejected by his, his brothers, couldn't speak peaceably to him. They hated him. When he kills Goliath, come on somebody, he kills Goliath, Saul chases him out of the kingdom, says there's no place in my kingdom for giant slayers. David has to go and live in caves, live in the wilderness, every day waking up with anxiety, every day waking up wondering, is this going to be the day of his last breath? Because Saul has sent his finest assassins throughout the land to hunt him down like a dog, to take him out because David was a threat to his lineage. David was a threat to his dynasty. Saul did not want to relinquish the throne. He didn't want to relinquish the position and the privilege that came with the position so he wanted to kill King David. David David is out there in a wilderness but he wrote three quarters of the Psalms which for millennia have brought comfort and hope and consolation to billions and billions of people right around the world because he understood the Romans 828 factor. We need more Christians. We need more Christians that have got some backbone that when they're walking through hell they keep walking. Walking. They don't stop and say, let's have a pity party. They keep walking. They understand, I can't control what you do to me. I can't control what happens around me. All I can control is what happens in me. That's called worship. Worship isn't what your circumstances say. Worship is what your heart says, despite your circumstances. That's worship. God is wanting to raise a generation of Christian that isn't up one day and down the next, depending on their circumstances. How are you doing? Well, under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? What are you doing under the circumstances? You're not meant to live under the circumstances. When I first got saved, oh my Lord. I'd meet Christians all the time, like, how are you doing? Oh, not good. What? Well, why not? there's spiritual warfare there's what yeah in our town there are satanists there are what satanists and the satanists are praying against the church they're drinking chicken's blood and everything my god here we are about the blood of the lamb we didn't even think of chicken's blood which trumps it trumps the Really? There, there are witches and warlocks and they're praying against Christian marriages. I'm just going through warfare. They're going through a really hard time. No, 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 no. Can I, just, can I just tell you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
can I just tell you, even if all hell was to come against you, God is raising up some heroes in the 21st century that whether something good happens or something bad, whether something mediocre or downright rotten, they know, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good, for them that love God and are called according to His purposes. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting God. I don't understand what happened. I don't understand why I'm walking through this. I don't understand why I lost my job. I don't understand why I got this sickness. I don't understand why my got written off. I don't understand, I do, but I, this is what I do know. He is seated on the throne. This is what I do know. He is for me. This is what I do know. His mercies are fresh every morning. This is what I do know, that my God, my God can make all things work together for good. It's called the Romans 8.20. I never see one superhero miserable, and yet every single one of them have faced adversity. Number two. The place of communication is the place of transformation. The place of communication is the place of transformation. Now, when I grew up, Clark Kent went into the phone booth and he came out as Superman. He went into the phone booth. How many of you remember Clark Kent going into the phone booth? Lois says, ah, help, Superman, Superman, help. And then he's like, what, Lois? And then he realizes, and so, and he goes into the phone booth, and then, he's flying through the air, and he catches Lois, and, and, and it, was in, it, was all, it was always in a phone booth. The phone booth, what's a phone booth? Glad you asked. <laughs> Before cell phones, if you wanted to call somebody, you had to go into a phone. I don't have any change. You know, you had to call, collect, and we have a whole generation. What's a phone? Yeah, phone booth. Had a phone, you could call people. You had to pay for it. Superman used the phone booth. He, he changed from Clark Kent to Superman in a phone booth. Because the place, or let me just play with the word a little bit here, the house of communication is the place of transformation. So you didn't catch that, so let me just explain it. The house of communication is the place of transformation. When you get into the house of communication... When you sit in the house of communication, there is transformation. See, the Word will transform your life. Just sitting here, hearing the Word of God, just sitting here, listening to the Word of God, even if you don't completely understand what I'm saying, Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. Just sitting in the house of God, hearing the word. The word of God is going into your spirit. It has power. It has transformation power resident on the inside of it. That's why the devil is terrified of it. In, in uh, Matthew 13, Jesus says, the son of man sows the seed. The seed is the word of God. The seed that falls by the wayside are those who hear the word but do not understand it. Then the evil one comes 
comes immediately and snatches what is sown. Why does he snatch it? Because he's terrified. Because he knows even if you didn't understand it, if he leaves that word, that word is powerful enough to bring transformation qualities in your life. So he's got to snatch it because he wants to keep you where you are. He wants to keep you beat down. He wants to keep you broke. He wants to keep you struggling. He wants to keep you addicted. The devil doesn't want you free, but Jesus knows you sit in the house of transformation. You go to the house of communication, it becomes your house of transformation. Can somebody say amen? See, the key to marriage, the key to a marriage transformation is communication. Thanks for your quiet response. See, here's the truth. You can meet on eHarmony. Oh my gosh, and we were 97% compatible. She likes romantic walks on the beach. So do I. She likes to party and have a good time. Oh my gosh. What are the chances? So do I. And that's awesome. And all the compatibility and we're each other's soulmate and, and all that kind of stuff is awesome. But at some point, at some point, you have to learn how to communicate. You've got to learn how to talk about your needs, especially when they're not being met. And you've got to learn about how to communicate expectation. And you've got to maybe correct bad behavior. And now if you're somebody who has grown up with dysfunction and brokenness and rejection, you can react prickly. You can react defensive. You can shut that person. Don't you? Who do you think? And you shut the person down. There are so many people living relationally dysfunctional or relationally still single because they're so broke they don't know how. The house of communication is the house of transformation. You don't hear me. God uses, God uses words to bring the destiny out of you. All right. You, you, okay. So, so in Genesis, God creates man from the dust of the ground. God even <sighs> breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life and Adam <sighs> becomes a living being. But destiny is not unlocked in the man until God in Genesis 1.28 blessed him and said to him. And God said, God spoke, God used words and says, be fruitful and multiply. Exercise dominion over the earth, land and sea. Have dominion, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. God had to speak into Adam to draw destiny out of him. God had to speak into Adam to draw authority out of him. You will find that if you do not learn how to communicate, if you, it, there are so many people that pull themselves away from the house of community. We have connect groups. We have, what is a connect group? A connect group is an environment where there are words. Now listen, the devil knows the power of words, so he wants to surround you in a realm, in a world where there is toxic words, where there is negative words. If he can't get you in a place where you are isolated with no words, he'll try and put you in a place where the words are negative words. You need to be in a, if you want to fast track your growth, if you want to soar in God, you've got to get into a, get godly people around you who are speaking. Proverbs 27, 21 says, a man is valued by what others say of him. You want to get into a place where iron is sharpening iron. Let the righteous strike me. It shall be, you need to be in a place where there are right words. 
You know, I use the illustration all the time, and I know it's a naughty illustration, but every serial killer that I've ever watched, you know, when they've caught them, they interview the neighbors. They interview the, na- the guy. The guy lived in the same apartment complex. And, you know, here we are, Barry Gumboot, NBC Nightly News, and, and here we are with, you know, one of the neighbors. And, you know, uh, you know, Jim lived upstairs from you, didn't he? Yeah, 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 he did. What was he like? Uh, you know, quiet guy. Kept mainly to himself. Every single one of them, quiet guy, kept mainly to himself. He's up there eating people. (laughs) Wearing his mummy's dresses. Like at some point, a thought went through his head, I wonder what human flesh would taste like. And the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three, every word's established. See, if you're by yourself, you get a dumb thought. You think, oh, that's probably a silly thought. But the second or third time you come, you go, yeah, maybe that's not so dumb. Human flesh, maybe it tastes like chicken. See, you need people in your life that when you say, oh, yeah, guys, I wonder what human flesh tastes like. But someone goes, you're an idiot. I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Yeah. And I wasn't going to wear any of my mum's clothes either. You were what? Nothing. Nothing. You need people around your life speaking because the house of communication is the place of transformation. God wants to transform you. Get in a connect group. Get in a place where you've got the right words speaking to your life. Somebody say amen. All right. Number three. How are we doing on time? Oh, we've got to keep moving. All right. Number three. Number three. Number three. Number three. Number three. Number three. Power is linked to your identity. Power is linked, connected to your identity. I like Tony Stark. Tony Stark is, he's a billionaire and all that kind of jazz. But he can't fly till he steps into this suit. When he steps into this suit, he becomes Iron Man. He becomes a force to be reckoned with. I'm not sure whether you realize this, but over 300 times in the Bible, the Bible commends you and I to put on our Iron Man suit. Over 300 times in your Bible, my Bible, it says that in Christ. It says that we are to put on Christ. It says that, that, that in Christ, we are a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, all things. Be- the Bible says that in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. The Bible says that in Christ, we are overcomers. The Bible says that in Christ, we are complete in Him. The Bible says that you and I are seated in Christ, in the heavenly realms, far above every principality and power. See, 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 the devil knows that the, you outside of Christ, man, he can whoop you seven days a week. But when you step in Christ... When you step in, when you are born, when, when you say, you know what, I'm losing my life and I'm giving it to Jesus. When you get clothed with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you see the devil backing up. The devil don't want to mess with Jesus no more because 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross and died taking your sin and my sin. Sin will send somebody to hell. Jesus didn't die on a cross and go to heaven. He died on a cross and went to hell. He went, how do you know he went to hell? 
I'll prove it. I'll show you. He went into hell because the Bible says in the book of Revelation that when he rose again from the dead, he had the keys of death and he had the keys of hell. Where did he get them? The Bible says that he went down into the prison. He preached to the angels who disobeyed long ago. He crushed the devil's head, took the keys of death, took the keys of hell and then rose again and said, he said, devil, what you got to say about that? Nothing. When you are in Christ, you are in victory. You are invincible. You are in power. You are in glory. You are in forgiveness. You are in grace. You are in. You are in Christ. Now watch this. Watch this. Josiah in 2 Kings 22 verse 8, Hilkiah the priest brings a scroll to Josiah. He brings a scroll to Josiah. He says, Josiah, you better sit down. This is going to freak you out because you became king when you were eight. 300 years ago, something happened in Israel that was recorded in Scripture. You, want to, you might want to read this. Josiah looks at the scroll. He looks at what is presented by Hilkiah the priest before him. And he sees the words of the man of God in 1 Kings 13. This says, Behold, a child will be born, Josiah by name, who will destroy the altars of Baal and will sacrifice the Baal-worshipping priests on this altar and their bones as well. And Josiah finds himself in the pages of the, can I just tell you, the devil is terrified when people find themselves in the pages. He does not want you to find yourself in the pages. of. He doesn't want you to recognize that you are in Christ. God was in Christ, reconciling the, that you are seated in Christ, in the heavenly realm, that in Christ, that, that God, I can do all things through Christ who gives me, when I'm wearing the suit, when I'm in Christ, he doesn't wants you to find your identity in Christ because your identity and your power are connected. You want to be powerless? Separate from Christ. You want to be powerful? Get into Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says, in my name, you'll cast out demons. In my name, you'll heal the sick. In my name, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And in my, when you are in Christ, you become a powerful force to be reckoned with. Find yourself in the Word of God. Okay, you, you, you're not hearing me. All right, let me, let, me, let me explain it this way. When Jesus came into the world, when Jesus came into the world, He came as a baby. Okay, uh, He came as a baby. I don't have time. He came as a baby. He came as, He came, the Bible says that He left glory. He left holy, holy, holy and traded it for crucify Him, crucify Him. Okay, He, 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 he came as a child. The Bible says that Jesus had to learn. He was God and yet he had to learn. What does it say that? Glad you asked Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, And Jesus learnt obedience through the things which he suffered. In Luke 2.52 it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and men. Jesus was a kid and he grew. At 12, he's in the temple and he's reasoning. He's asking questions of the Pharisees and scribes and they are marveling at the depth of which the questions that he's asking, that, that he could grasp kingdom things, but, but he was learning. He was learning. The Bible says that every year his family went up to the Passover. 
as was their custom. That's what it says. So every year, Jesus, when he's one, when he's two, when he's three, when he's four, when he's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, every year, Jesus went up to the Passover. Every year they get there and Jesus is watching in the temple as the people bring a lamb, a one-year-old lamb without spot, without blemish, and the head of the household will lean on the lamb, confess all the sins of the household. The lamb's throat is slipped, blood everywhere, and the lamb is sacrificed as an atonement for the people. The wages of sin is death, but God has instituted a thing. He says, well, rather than you die, if you bring a lamb, I will accept its death in your place. You can live. Jesus is walking along the banks of the Jordan River. He's just walking. And his cousin, John the Baptist, is dunking people. Like Dunkin' Donuts. He's, he's baptizing people. And under the anointing of God, he looks on the, on the side of the Jordan River. I'm not sure he goes, hey, cars. I'm not sure what, what he sees, but when he looks at the Jordan River, he sees a figure, maybe he saw a lamb. Because all we know is that he points his finger and he says, behold, the lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The point is like a laser hitting Jesus. When Jesus hears the word, behold the Lamb of God, and sees John the Baptist pointing directly at him, Jesus' mind immediately spins back to every single Passover, and he realizes that in the Scripture it has been prophesied that just as the Passover Lamb delivered Israel out of the bondage of the mighty Pharaoh, in the same way the Messiah would come as the Lamb of God and deliver us from someone more powerful than Pharaoh, from the grip and the the enslavement of the devil himself. And now Jesus finds himself. Oh, you don't hear me. All right, let me show you. Come come with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Man, I've got to prove it to you. You guys are making me work hard tonight. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 verse 5. Hebrews 10 verse 5. Jesus had to find himself in the Word of God. I'm not going to finish point four. I just realized that now. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5. Yellow when you're there. It says, therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering, Hebrews 10 verse 5, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you no longer had any pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Guys, if you can still get it up on the screen, that'd be great. Hebrews 10, 5. So the Bible says here, Jesus, when He came into the world, He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of this book, it is written of me to do your will. Jesus found His identity in the Word of God, which unlocked His destiny. Let me explain really quickly what happened. God gave the Old Testament to to the Israelites where because of sin, they could bring an animal to the altar. At that altar, they sacrificed the animal. The animal's death and bloodshed was accepted by God 
so that the sins that deserved death was now put on the animal and they could now freely, freely walk into the blessing of God. They could now freely walk into fellowship with God. Their sins washed away, their sin covered. Problem. By the time Jesus came, and we know this about by the book of Malachi, because Malachi brings a rebuke. The children of Israel had gotten so used to the ritual that they would they wouldn't bring their best lamb. They wouldn't bring a lamb that was one year old without spot and blemish. The Bible says they brought what was sick, what was lame, what was blind. Like something, man, this has got a, little, got a bung leg. Let's, let's just sacrifice. And so they, they would bring that to, to the altar, not realizing that there was an exchange that would happen at the altar. There was an exchange. There was a, the reason they had to bring a one-year-old lamb is because when it's one, it's, it's stepped into its maturity. It was on the cusp of its maturity without spot or without blemish because God was taking all the sins and putting it on the lamb and then all the perfection of the lamb went back onto the people. But now they're bringing blind and lame and maim and crippled sheep. So the whole nation is a mess. But even worse than that, rather than just... Rather than once they've sacrificed the animal, going through into the presence of God, the Bible teaches that the children of Israel would go right back to their sin. They would go right back to their sin. They would go right back to their idolatry. But because they wanted to prosper and they wanted blessing, they kind of almost figured we could just come to the altar, sacrifice. That thing died in our place. Now we can go back to our sin and have our blessing as well. Meanwhile, God over here is looking at what, to you and I, it looks like a conundrum. But how many people know there are no conundrums with God? So God saw that His people Israel would sin. They would come to the altar. They would come to the altar of sacrifice and they would sacrifice a lamb, an animal, and then we go right back to their sin. They would not meet with God. They would not connect with God. They would not relate to God. And then Jesus comes. Jesus comes and He sees all of this. And in Hebrews 10 verse 5, this is quoting from the Old Testament, but Jesus found this. And He says, In sacrifice and offering for sin, you no longer had any pleasure because it wasn't changing their heart. It wasn't changing their soul. It wasn't changing their appetites or desires. They would just go right back to their sin. Then He says, Behold, I have come. A body you have prepared for me. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Jesus says, Father, I'll fix this. He says, I'll fix it. He says, if the children of Israel will come to the sacrifice, but they won't come to you, they'll come as far as the sacrifice and then they turn, they go right back and they won't come to you. Father, I notice you've given me a body. If they will only come to the sacrifice, Father, what I'll do is I will become the sacrifice. 
so that when they come to me, they come to you. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. Whether you realize or not, God wants you to have a relationship with Him more than you want to have a relationship. God wants you to be right with Him more than you want to be right with Him. This is what Jesus did. He found Himself in the Word of God. You know, the greatest thing I can do as a shepherd, as a pastor, is help you find yourself in the Word. Do you know the devil, do you know to the devil, the worst thing that can ever happen to a human being is for you to find yourself. When a, when a person finds themselves in the Word of God, it is game over for that. That's why he will distract you. He will tell you, he'll whisper, the Bible's boring. Come on, don't read it. Turn on the television. He'll try and make you go to sleep. He does not want you to find yourself in the Word. But when you find yourself in the Word, you will find yourself in a suit. That suit is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that you and I have right standing. When we, when we are in Christ, if any man be in Christ, come on somebody, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Glory.